Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get into the game. <laughs> With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. Our focus up, welcome in, weekend edition of Hardwood Handicappers. A uh, a cool episode at that, too, because we're going to do our usual thing with the NBA. But uh, at the end of this episode, Daniel Alvari is going to be with us. Uh, The WNBA season got started on Friday night. Danielle's going to preview, give us an overview of uh, what the season's going to look like in the WNBA, some futures plays, MVPs, things like that. Uh, It's a hardwood handicappers. It's a basketball podcast. It's a professional basketball handicapping podcast. So why not dive a little bit into the WNBA? So. Before we get to Danielle, uh, a lot to discuss. Want to recap what happened on Friday night and get into a couple of things about home court because I think that's been a pretty interesting conversation as uh, this has started to even out for teams at home after a rough start to the postseason. But we begin with the Philadelphia 76ers. Big win, 99-79 in Joel Embiid's return. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, uh, is this series, I think, kind of interesting now. So a 20-point victory for Philadelphia as they get it done here. And... I thought Embiid looked pretty fine, right? His impact, which we'll get to momentarily, was more on defense. Uh, but a, a guy like that, you know, I said this about James Harden last year, and its I don't think it's a an original phrase by any sense whatsoever, uh, but guys like Joel Embiid, they, they have gravity. And what you mean by that is, you know, they attract attention on the floor. Things open up for other players, and I think you saw that. Embiid offensively was not great. He was fine. 18 points, 5 of 12 from the floor, 11 rebounds, uh, 76 or plus 8 in his minutes. Um but when you're talking about opening it up for others, that's what you really saw, specifically Danny Green, who all of a sudden showed up. But Philadelphia uh, all of a sudden has their best shooting night of the series, 16 of 33 from deep. They were 7 of 10 on corner three-point attempts, 9 of 22 above the break. Danny Green himself was 7 of 9. Tyrese Maxey was 5 of 6. So the role players show up. They're better at home. They shoot the ball better. They get a little bit more space because Joel Embiid is out there and attracting the attention that he is. And, and that just helps on the offensive end. Now, as we always discuss, players tend to play better at home. It's, it's not an original thought there. We see it all the time. We've seen it multiple times in this postseason alone. So 
that was probably part of the little bit of a surge here on offense, specifically when it came to shooting. There's no denying that Embiid's presence really opened this floor up a little bit more. You know, guys shading a little bit more to Embiid when it comes to drives on the basket or who would catch the ball. It just helped out the other players for the Philadelphia 76ers, and I don't think there's really any denying that. So you get that, but still, I think when you're looking at the offensive effort overall from Philadelphia, only an offensive rating of 114 in non-garbage time minutes, according to Cleaning the Glass. Uh, they didn't generate much in the paint, 28 points overall in the paint, 11 of 17 at the rim, 3 of 8 on short mid-range attempts. So you look at that and you think, all right, well... I, not that you're worried about your offense going into game four, but it's still, in terms of an overall efficiency standpoint, wasn't the best against a really good Miami team. And you kind of expect that because the Miami Heat are incredible on that end of the floor. And, you know, they're they're pests in, in a good way, too. They're pests in a good way. P.J. Tucker uh, was getting a little froggy, especially near the end of that game when he was getting frustrated. Uh, they were trying to kind of impose that will there. Kyle Lowry, of course, when you talk about that game in terms of his presence, uh, he was back as well. So that helps things out. In terms of the uh, Miami Heat going forward, uh, his impact, though, not really felt a ton, uh, both offensively and defensively in this game. No points scored for Lowry. He was 0-4 from the floor. There were times where I thought he looked a little slow uh, on the defensive end. So, as in, is, is same with Embiid. You know, with another game under the belt, you would expect that his effort's going to get a little bit better. And, you know, I think that about Embiid, too, right? So, when you're talking about the offensive effort for Philadelphia, the shooting, will it, con- you know, will it be consistent from yesterday to game four on Sunday evening maybe maybe not but I think you also expect a little bit more of an aggressive version of Joel Embiid now that he's got a game uh, that he's played with the mask he did play with the mask back in 2018 he fractured an orbital then uh, but still did not look as aggressive as he has in the past and you would think that now that he's a little bit more comfortable and getting some minutes out there uh, he's probably going to put forth uh, not even a better effort should say but a more aggressive effort as you get to game four and I think the other part, when you're talking about the offense for Philadelphia and the negatives, if you will, uh, it's just that James Harden still looks subpar. 17 points, 4 of 11, 1 of 7 from three-point range, 6 assists and 8 rebounds, it's fine. Um, but again, he's he's clearly the third guy, if that. I mean, Tobias Harris didn't have a good game on Friday, but James Harden is not James Harden anymore. I think it's pretty clear at this point right now whether that's going to improve by the time we get to next season. Uh, it's time to put that to bed in terms of expecting Harden to do something. And uh, you need Tyrese Maxey to be the second guy, which I think he can be. These last two games for Maxey have been incredible. He had, he had a fantastic, fantastic play on Friday where he chased down a turnover in the backcourt, grabbed it, and flung it back to James Harden who recovered it. So uh, Maxey's clearly their second-best guy. And with Joel Embiid out there, he's only going to be a better presence for them. They were plus 17 in his time on the floor. To give Harden credit, they were plus 27, and he got to the free-throw line eight times. But regardless... This is about now Joel Embiid being number one, Maxi number two, and Harden number three. And look, if Harden's your lead facilitator, that's not a bad thing to have. The problem is, and Tim Bontemps put this um, very succinctly in the um, in the podcast with Brian Windhorst that they do every single like Thursday night Friday. You know, he was brought in and billed as a top fifteen player in the NBA, and right now he's potentially a top 30, 35, which again is not a terrible thing to have, given everything big picture. What you gave up for him, it's pretty bad. But at least in terms of like competing in a series like this, if Maxie's going to perform at the level he has each of the last two games and you have Joel Embiid back, uh, this has the potential to become a competitive series and a 2-2 split uh, when you go back to Miami for Game 5. But they got to play Game 4. And I also thought, too, when it comes to Embiid, I thought his impact, as I kind of noted there, was more on defense. Yeah, I wrote about this um, for the game preview yesterday up on the website. 
Bam Adebayo in games one and two was awesome. He, he was tearing up the Philadelphia 76ers centers and whatever center they would throw out there. So the first two games in Miami, Adebayo, 23.5 points per game. He shot 15 to 21 through the two games. They were plus 41 in the two games with, Adebayo, with Adebayo on the floor. He was incredible. But when Joel Embiid's out there playing defense as opposed to DeAndre Jordan, who doesn't, a very small Paul Millsap or Nyang or Tobias Harris, uh, it's not as easy. And sure enough, Adebayo in game three, nine points, two and nine showed, uh, shooting, and they were minus 22 in his minutes out there. This is going to be something to watch, I think, as we move to game four and onwards in this series as we are at least guaranteed to game five, uh, which is Adebayo was a big part of what they were doing offensively. His ability to work against those small centers, his ability to get those easy buckets over smaller guys or beat up on DeAndre Jordan, who was not very good. Well, now it's Joel Embiid. And there was a, you know, it, I thought it was a quintessential performance where near the end of the game yesterday, you know, I think he, I think if, uh, Adebayo catches it about the nail and drives to the basket and Embiid fills the paint and just goes straight up and he just bounces off Embiid and misses it. And if I remember correctly, it was actually an offensive rebound and a putback. But still, it just speaks to the fact that Adebayo is not going to be, it seems, as effective with Joel Embiid out there playing defense. And you really saw that take place. And on the other end, too, I mean, or excuse me, along those same lines, you know, when you're the Philadelphia 76ers, the Heat didn't really shoot the ball that well in this game at all. They were 7-30 to 30 from three-point range. You feel more confident, and you saw that, closing out on shooters when you know that you have a guy like Joel Embiid behind you to clean that up. And you really saw them put a better effort in running guys off of the three-point line. Hero was only 2 of 7 from three-point range. Struess was only 3 of 11. Butler was 1 of 5. And, you know, we, we know about the numbers of Butler in the postseason and how much better he shoots it still. I, I thought you saw a much more confident team defensively because they knew behind them there was a guy in Joel Embiid who is a really good rim protector and defender. And you saw the confidence in defending the perimeter. So how the Miami Heat shoot the ball, because they didn't shoot the ball that well in game one, but they tore him up in game two. How you move forward with that is going to be, I think, pretty fascinating because I thought there was just a better confidence out there from the Miami Heat and others put in, or excuse me, from the Philadelphia 76ers and others put in good minutes too. Matisse Thibel had some good defensive possessions as well. They were minus seven in his minutes out there, but still defensively really liked what Thibel put out there on the floor too. And especially those lineups with him and Embiid together, that's uh, a really, really hard lineup to score on, even with others out there too. So overall, I mean, obviously it's a win, so it's a positive for the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. But I think from a serious perspective, now that Embiid's out there, you know, I, I talked about this with Matt in, in multiple spots when I was on with V-Sin. Um, the cliche that a series doesn't start until a team wins on the road is somewhat true. And now the home team still have held serve and you're back home again for game four. And you open up in that game too, by the way, as a favorite of one and a half points. Totals at 207, which is opens. So we're starting to see that trickle down and some twos are starting to pop up. Uh, but Philadelphia deserved to be favored at home here over the Miami Heat. And I think there's a potential that you could look at that number and say it probably should be a little bit higher with Embiid back out there on the floor. Again, as we're going to get into this home court conversation coming up in a couple of minutes, but if you're talking about three being the, mar the line of demarcation for home court, a number of one and a half for Philadelphia at home would tell you that they're one and a half points worse than the Miami Heat on a neutral. And I'm not sure that's the case with Embiid out there. Not sure it's the case at all. So, again, we saw this kind of transpire yesterday. It was a really good situation for them coming back home. And we'll see if that carries forward into game four. But uh, as of this point right now, a very strong lean toward the Philadelphia 76ers laying one and a half in that Sunday game because I do believe that maybe, just maybe, it should be a little bit higher there. You know, if you don't want to make these two teams equal on a neutral, that's fine. Uh, but at one and a half, Joel Embiid's, I think, worth a little bit more 
to the point spread when the, when the market's giving them credit for. With the two starting to pop up and that two right now over at the Westgate Superbook, uh, an indication where some sharp odds makers, including Jeff Sherman, that's who I'm referencing there, uh, over at the Westgate Superbook, kind of feel there. All right, so moving on from that, in the updated series price too, by the way, Heat minus 350, minus 360, depending on where you shop, you can get 301 or 305 on the Philadelphia 76ers if you believe they can win this thing. Um, let's go to Phoenix and Dallas because that was an incredible performance from the Dallas Mavericks. And Luka Doncic was awesome. Um, not the stat line I think that you usually expect from Luka Doncic, just considering uh, how dominant he can be and how great he looked in the first two games. 26 points, 13 rebounds, and assists shy of a triple-double. 11-25 from the floor. And, you know, you look at it at times, and, you know, a lot of his mid-range jumpers, Richard Jefferson pointed this out on the broadcast, a lot of those, like, fall-away mid-range jumpers that he was throwing up are a little bit short. You could tell he was a little tired. Came out with, like, all of that tape on his right shoulder. Kind of made you worry how he was going to look, and I think that kind of played into it. But this is what we talk about, man, like all the time. And it is like it's ad nauseum. And you talk about role players showing up at home like we just did for the Philadelphia 76ers. But it was it was painfully obvious for the Dallas Mavericks. You needed somebody other than Luka to give you something from a scoring perspective. And you finally got it. Jalen Brunson had 28 points. He was 10 to 21 from the floor. Did not shoot the ball very well from deep. He was one of five, but got to the free throw line seven times. Made all seven. Max Kleba performed in a relatively solid fashion as well. Gave him 14 points on 6-9 shooting from the floor. Dorian Finney-Smith contributed 14. Reggie Bullock gave him 15. The starting group for the um, Dallas Mavericks, well, I brain farted on the Dallas Mavericks, uh, was fantastic. Fantastic. And I still think, look, I still think you need more from a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie in non-garbage time, only four points. He had four rebounds and four assists, and he was fine in 24 minutes. Two of seven from the floor. Had some good transition buckets on turnovers. Uh, he had a great play, and again, it was only one of his two points that he scored, four points that he scored, uh, but had a great play where he gets ISO'd on the right wing with Cam Johnson, brings him inside, spins to his right shoulder, and finishes. Like he's, Dinwiddie was great. It was solid in, in a very limited fashion in only 24 minutes, but I still think you need more from him as you move forward. But to me, the key difference, it was two things. For the Mavericks' offense, it was not a reliance on the three-point shot. And still, they, they shot a lot of three-pointers, and they're going to, right? 42% of their attempts yesterday came from beyond the arc. They, they were only 13 of 39 from three-point range. But it was the difference in how they were scoring in the half court, and it was the difference in how they were scoring inside the arc. If you go back the last couple of games for this team, specifically Game 2, Game 2, Dallas reverted back to what I think is kind of one of their their weaknesses, which is a reliance on perimeter shots. They were 15 to 35 from three-point range in that game two loss to the Phoenix Suns, but they were five of 10 in the restricted area against the Suns in that game. Five of 10. You only had 10 attempts within four feet of the basket in that loss. And remember, they lost that by 20 points and shot 50%. That's not going to get it done. There's got to be a better effort in terms of getting those easy looks, getting in the painted area, forcing the issue within four feet of the basket. And lo and behold, you go back to Friday night, and that was the biggest difference. 20 to 25 within four feet of the basket, 25 attempts at the rim. That's awesome. Shooting 80%, that is fantastic. And you saw from Doncic, you know, I mentioned the turnaway, fadeaway jumpers. But when he would get guys 
like Mikael Bridges or Chris Paul on him, and they would ISO him off on the block or in the paint, and he would just go at them, just backing them down, using his size, getting those easier buckets, getting to within four feet of the basket, and it made a massive difference. Because not only are you getting easier baskets, but that means you can then kick it out to other guys, and guys either have those one-on-one matchups. They, If another dude comes over and shades over to Luka Doncic, who's banging down with Bridges or somebody else, that opens up a little bit of a lane for guys to cut to the basket or to drive when they get the ball. It just opened up the offense so much more for the Dallas Mavericks. And you saw that really big difference because in the first two games, if they weren't going to shoot very well, uh, they were going to get smoked even more. And in this game, they didn't shoot the ball very well. And still, they won by a comfortable margin because of their ability and their effort in terms of getting the ball in the paint and at the rim. So you, re- I think you really like that. And that's probably going to be part of the game plan again as you move forward. And this is why this NBA postseason – Like, I love the NBA postseason. You get these adjustments. You get these changes as you move forward throughout these series. You know, what we say, you play seven for a reason because these teams can change the way that they approach these contests. So now, as we look forward to Sunday, pretty interesting here that the Phoenix Suns, one and a half point favorite on the road with a total of 215, somewhere in that range. Um, And now we're talking about, so... As we get this game one for the Dallas Mavericks, okay, and they were about uh, the pick minus one, depending on where you look, um, yesterday at close, Phoenix laying this full one and a half here in this game is pretty interesting because now you're talking about a, uh, an adjustment and not only, you know, moving the number slightly in favor of the Phoenix Suns, uh, but also the point where you're talking about this, now the Suns are going to be laying about seven and a half. Uh, this is, if this was back at home, this would be about a seven and a half point line for Phoenix. And I get what happened in the first two games, but you got this adjustment. You see what Dallas did. The role players played a little bit better at home. Interesting that the market has pushed this up to where it has. And I will say this, as uh, this game two yesterday, a low scoring affair, 103 to 94. This is a game that is definitely correlated total wise to the side. And I wrote about this yesterday. If Dallas dictates their will and they play the game that they want, this is going to be a low-scoring affair. This is going to be a rock'em, sock'em type game. And if you look at it, too, in this game yesterday, 88 possessions in this game. So it was a really slow, kind of knock-em-out, drag-em-out type of game. And that's what the Dallas Mavericks want against the Phoenix Suns. Not that the Suns are like some up-and-down team from a pace standpoint, uh, but they want to grind you out. They want to grind you into dust and make you work and... You kind of saw that in this game. Looked much more like the Dallas Mavericks we saw since the beginning of 2022. So I will say, as we kind of look ahead to Sunday and diving through some of the numbers and and looking at what we're seeing, you know, the home teams potentially, I think, do have some value here. Not not only talking about catching one and a half with the Dallas Mavericks, uh, but laying that one and a half with the Philadelphia 76ers at home against the Miami Heat. So we'll double-check injury reports. Things pop up here and there that you always want to be cognizant of which leads us to the final topic before we get to Danielle and our our special little preview on the WNBA season which got started on Friday so home court advantage so I thought this was really interesting I've talked about this a couple of times now on the pod and and on the show on the edge and on hardwood handicapper so uh, for those who have been listening and you you understand uh, what the conversation been about but to to reiterate really quickly the beginning of the postseason it did seem like all the way through this past Sunday Uh, that home court was only worth about a point. For those who don't remember, home court in the regular season, one and a half, 1.7 points uh, worth of value in terms of playing at home. Well, this week has been really strong for the home teams. 8-0 straight up and against the spread since Monday. Average cover margin of 10.4 points per game for teams at home. This has been incredible. And since these results have come in, home court has skyrocketed from being worth only one point to two and a half points after the results of last night. So I've kind of... 
I think at this point right now, and I've mentioned this, right? Like generally home court should be worth more in the postseason. At the start of the postseason, that was not the case, but we're starting to see this even out now that the three that odds makers are using for home court is indeed accurate and it's getting there. And if you look at like Tom Byrne, we talked about, we talked with him earlier in the week. I think it was, uh, what was it? Wednesday. Uh, His process for calculating home court had been looking at teams at home in terms of net rating. And in the postseason, if you look at net rating, uh, 4.1 points. So home teams this year in the postseason outscoring their opponents by 4.1 points per 100 possessions. If you use the median result, which is the way that I do it, uh, through these games in the postseason, we're talking about them winning, or excuse me, um, uh, a, a median result of 2.5 points. And on top of that, uh, they are starting to win games now 8-0 straight up and against the spread since Monday. So I think now as we move forward, Definitely, definitely worth looking at how home court being worth about three points and calculating that as you kind of look. And, and that's why, like today, for example, and for those who are listening, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but today, for example, and for those who are watching The Edge throughout the week, why I bet Boston plus three and used it as best bets on the show, which is the three seems to be more accurate. If it is indeed worth three, three tells you that Milwaukee and Boston are equal teams in a neutral court. Should not be the case. Boston's a higher rated team, even in full strength, ever so slightly, but still the higher rated team. And without Chris Middleton, is a higher rated team, obviously. So three, a little too strong. You saw the market respond as of Saturday morning. Uh, that number was as low as one and a half in favor of Milwaukee at home for game three. So, all right, we'll keep this short and sweet. It's weekend listed, of course, Sunday. Make sure you check it in. Hardwood Handicappers will be live at 3 p.m. Pacific time. We will talk to you then. And uh, enjoy this conversation with Danielle. Danielle knows what she's talking about in terms of the WNBA. And uh, I have an interest in the WNBA. I think, like, from a betting standpoint, if you really dive into it, it's a niche market, so... Obviously, not a lot of public money that's messing around there. It's a very, very sharp market. So it's going to be interesting to keep track of as the season gets started, uh, which, of course, was yesterday. And it looks like the uh, hometown Las Vegas Aces could be the best team in the WNBA. So we'll talk to Danielle coming up next. This is the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. So we're all done with the NBA stuff. Uh, and we have a special guest today, Daniel Alvar. He's been on the podcast before. We've talked to uh, the Los Angeles teams. But I'm excited because uh, I am, Danielle, I have dedicated myself, uh, not as much as you, uh, but I am going to very much try to keep up with the WNBA this season uh, on a day-to-day basis. And I love that for uh, you. And bet it a little bit. Well, because I, I have to say, too, so last year, correct me, it was the Chicago Sky and the Connecticut Sun in the WNBA Finals. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it or always no, throws yeah. me. Scott, Sky Mercury, I think. Sorry, actually. it was you. You're Mercury. See, that always throws yeah. me off. Mercury yeah. are in Phoenix, but then I think Connecticut Sun. It, it always throws me off with the mascot. So, yes. Pretty much okay. there's a sun, but it's not in Phoenix, and that's right. the pain in the butt. And it's one sun, not many. Yes, yes. It always throws me off. But regardless, um, I actually I watched, I think, every one of those WMB Finals games. That was really fun. It was a really good series. And, uh, you know, I've talked to you about this before behind the scenes about following the WNBA. I think you do a good job of it. So, uh, we are a basketball podcast. And I want to talk about the WNBA. So we're going to preview the WNBA season. We'll have you on regularly throughout. Uh, but I am very much dedicated to uh, following this. And by the way, that's an introduction to Daniel Alvari, who's with us here today. What's up? So excited, JVT. I'm so glad you're doing that, too, because what was one of the first things I asked you when we worked together last year about the WNBA as I was trying to get into handicapping? I said, what is with all these mid-range shots in the WNBA? Yep. And the WNBA has a lot of really dominant post play as well. Those are the teams that are at the top. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. You're going to be able to tell me the differences that you see between the NBA and the WNBA between the stats. So that's really exciting. Yeah. And uh, it does seem that it's it's a very sharp market in that like there's not a lot of public money involved in this. So 
Uh, when the moves happen on a day-to-day basis, it is gen- it is more often than not respected money that is moving that, even though that's the case for every single market. But you definitely got to pay attention to the moves in the daily market for the WNBA. And um, there's I think there's value to be had, especially, man, those psychos. Uh, I think it was was it Harlebob Volgaris who really made his living in terms of betting WNBA totals back in the day. And, uh, yeah, there's yeah, some Yeah, you can't fade there. the public. You can't do that here. No, no, not at all. So uh, we're doing this on Friday. Uh, the season actually starts tonight. We get how many games tonight? Five? Something like that? Four. Four games. So you get four games tonight. Yeah, Fever Mystics, which you were just lamenting before this podcast started. Uh, What'd you take, nine? I took nine and a half with the Fever. We'll see if I come to regret that. I told people I wanted to play this live and try to get double digits on the Fever, but I like this scrappy Fever team. They've gone over a lot of changes. Very different team from last year, which can be said for a lot of these teams. Yeah, I was going to say six wins last year. It was actually a team you and I discussed uh, quite a bit because they were that bad. Uh, Last year, six wins. Least uh, in the WNBA, also the worst net rating of the WNBA, uh, outscored by 12.5 points per 100 possessions. Uh, but as you said, and I was kind of poking around at some of these, and we'll get to some of the changes in terms of some of these teams, but seems to be a lot of turnover. So let's start big picture before we get to uh, some of the teams one by one. So looking at the futures board, and this is courtesy of DraftKings, so you tell me if there's some altering numbers uh, in, in other spots that you've been looking around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Las Vegas Aces, the favorite to win the uh, WNBA championship at DraftKings. That is plus 275. Now, it is a note here at DraftKings, so you can tell me uh, what the number is on the on Connecticut uh, because uh, DraftKings is not hanging uh, Connecticut in terms of the futures board there. So the, the Aces plus 275 at DraftKings, Sky plus 330, Seattle Storm plus 450, Mercury plus 550. Those are your top teams right there. Uh, where is Connecticut in the grand scheme of things? And they're actually included on the uh, futures market. Uh, well, Connecticut is plus 350 at Bet Rivers, and yeah. uh, that sounds about right. And DraftKings, I think it's because of the Mohican Sun right. issue with the Connecticut Sun. Yeah, I would think yeah. so. So let's start here. I'll just start with the basic question uh, Are the Las Vegas Aces the best team in the WNBA? It's so tough. It's so tough this year. What's great is I was talking to someone about this and how every year the NBA, we do kind of winners and losers of the offseason. And with the WNBA, there's 12 teams and the talent is getting so cutthroat. We're seeing all these players that are really elite, not even getting a shot at the league now. And I actually, it's painful, but I think it's great for the growth of the league. And so just about every team took steps forward. Um, so when you talk about the Aces, obviously the addition of Becky Hammond in the offseason, they have MVP, former MVP Asia Wilson, and she is needless to say, not happy with the way that they went out last season. They've made some changes and now the way that they've bolstered their perimeter offense. And then they have Asia Wilson, obviously who, and such an incredibly defensive centric team. And now they have Becky Hammond, the legend herself. This is going to be such a tough, tough team to beat. But unfortunately there's a lot of other talent on these other teams as well. So from what I've taken in about what, what's going on with the aces, what I kind of like, not that I was like not a fan of uh, Liz Cambage, and uh, there was some stuff with there that like off the court that I wasn't really a big fan of. But regardless, she's a talented she's an player. acquired taste. There you go. That, that's a very good way to put it. Um, but I, I think what I liked about reading about the Las Vegas Aces was Cambage moving on opens up the floor a little bit, and Hammond's goal here is to kind of open this offense up a little bit. And for somebody who spent a long time uh, on the sidelines uh, of the NBA, right, with the San Antonio Spurs. I do wonder if the Las Vegas um, Aces kind of take on more of an NBA look and feel, right? Like a team that is a little bit more spread out, a team that's going to shoot a little bit more from three, a team that's going to rely on arguably the best player in the WNBA and Asia Wilson. Like I kind of liked like the the little tidbits I was reading on the Las Vegas Aces because I feel like you're going to get a little bit more of a wide open game uh, than what you generally see in the WNBA. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. This is why some of the fun teams for me to watch last season were the teams that maybe weren't towards the top of the top six teams, but it was like the Dallas Wings, the New York Liberty. These are the young gun fun teams that love to shoot three pointers and throw tons up. Actually, the Sparks were one of those teams as well, which is why it was annoying to bet against them because some nights all of a sudden they shoot a ton of threes and they start going in. So uh, those are the fun teams to watch because like you said, that's more NBA style. And with the Aces, that was definitely not what they did well. And that's probably why I didn't enjoy watching them so much because it was Asia Wilson and Liz Cambege, and you feel like, well, this isn't even fair. And they just dominate the paint. And for the WNBA, the teams that tend to win are these teams that have these bigs that are so excellent. But now we see three number one overall draft picks on the roster here, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, including Asia Wilson. And so I think that they've really bolstered themselves at guard. And I do wonder if we're going to see Becky Hammond make this run a little bit more like the NBA. I think we're already starting to see that. The Dallas Wings coach last year started to work towards that. Yeah, if you look at it just from the the percentage of field goal attempts for Las Vegas, you alluded to that uh, dead last, 19.2% of their field goal attempts. So boring. Or from three-point range, <laughs> uh, but 80%. Well, how many mid-range did they take? Because that uh, drove see. me nuts. It doesn't give me attempts, but I've got percentage of points from mid-range. It was about 16% of their points came from mid-range. Mm. Um, yeah, that was ridiculous. And and not many fast break points either, which is, again, kind of like that w, or that so NBA boring. thing. Uh, <laughs> NBA is spread them out, run, and and get those easy buckets. And this was very much, it seemed at least, like a plotting kind of, uh, let's just bounce it down to our, our gals down low and let's see what's going on. And mm-hmm. uh, I would say from a, like you said, aesthetically, that is kind of a boring style. Right. So I'm excited to see what they're going to look like now. Definitely the new look Vegas aces. And it's tough for me because people ask if I bet futures on this, but I need to see how all these pieces shake out on all of these teams. It's really been so many, so many changes. So when now, as we kind of look at this, so the aces again, in some spots, the favorite to win it plus 275. We'll say that one more time uh, in terms of winning uh, the uh, WNBA finals. The defending champs, and uh, this is, I always, I'm going to, I mix this up all the time, but that is the Chicago, the Chicago Sky, uh, the, yes. Uh, yes, the defending champs. Um, the mascots always throw me off, but regardless, so what's the path for the Sky to repeat as champions? Because correct me if I'm wrong, too, did they not enter the postseason like 500 last year, right? Like they weren't going into the postseason a season ago, like uh, all cylinders firing and, uh, you know, one of the teams that was considered to be one of the better teams in the NBA, right? Right. But they almost remind me of, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to say the Lakers because they missed the playoffs, but the team that has this star power to be able to win a national, to win a national, to win a championship uh, on any given season, if they get into the postseason, but they just did enough to get into the postseason and they just win the games that they need to win. And I also think that's reminiscent of, of when we see Candace Parker, who's been there before and she is a little bit older, they're being a little bit more strategic here. And we forget that a lot of these players again, play year round. And so yeah. that is a factor here as well. But uh, the Chicago sky are really interesting. I mean, here's what I'll say about what voting for them or, or, rather spending your money on a future ticket for the Chicago sky. There is the narrative of no team has repeated as WNBA champion since the 2000, 2001 LA sparks. It alternates every other year. That said, I don't think that that means it has to happen again. And the Chicago sky only added to their roster. Really? They lost diamond to shields, which is of course is going to be an admitted loss, but they still have finals MVP, Kalia copper, Courtney Vandersloot, Ali Quigley. They thought they were going to lose them at one point, but they were able to bring them back. Candace Parker, this defense is so elite. And the teams that I had tickets on last season, the WNBA, the way I picked futures, which you know how much I hate tying my money up and mm-hmm. I hate doing them. But I grabbed the Chicago sky about mid season, right around the time Candace Parker was coming back. Her ankle had been bugging her. She'd been out for most of the season, but I saw a couple games with her in and thought this team's dangerous. 
grab that. And also the Connecticut Sun, they're able to slow teams down and make them play at their pace. The problem is they can't play at other teams' offensive pace. So if another team can speed them up, that's where they got just completely wrecked in the playoffs. So the two teams I liked last season were the teams that were able to shut people down on defense, and that's the Chicago Sky and the Connecticut Sun for me. Yeah, and the Sky do seem like they're going to be – everything I'm taking in in terms of media, the, the Sky seem to be a team that is uh, very much primed to be a lot better than they were a season ago. Like in terms of the regular season, obviously they uh, did yeah. a pretty good thing in terms of winning the championship, but this could be a team that not pretty only good. could repeat but uh, be at the top of the standings when it comes to this. So you mentioned the Suns, so, and I've got a better futures board up here because at DraftKings the odds mm-hmm. are a little off. So Aces plus 325 over at points bet. Chicago Sky plus 350, Connecticut Sun plus 350. Uh, to win a title, and then you get to the Mercury, which we'll get to. Uh, and, you know, there seems to be a gap. I think I've got, what, like six, seven teams that are in single digits to win yep. this thing, and then then That's you get to the it. Mystics and others who are like 20 to 1 and so. So it seems to be a finite sample size in terms of teams that can win this. Uh, so let's go with the Sun then, too, at, at plus 350 to win this thing. You know, my questions are pretty general because, you know, I, I'm really learning as I'm kind of going along here with the well, WNBA. Um, yeah. but, but I'll say this, you know, so – what is there to look out here for Connecticut? Because there was um, there was a couple of writers for ESPN that seemed pretty bullish on looking at Connecticut to win this whole thing and thought that they were better than actually the Las Vegas Aces. Ah, uh, all right, interesting, very tough. Okay, so for me, I like John Quill Jones better than Asia Wilson. Not that it's competition, but it is. And John Quill Jones won MVP last year. She's able to shoot a three ball, which is just incredible for a big like her. She has size. She has quickness. She literally does it all. She's similar to Brianna Stewart. And for me, that's the other team, right? The Seattle Storm are going to be at the top of the leaderboard as always, because I think if you have Brianna Stewart on your team, you can win a championship. That's just that's just how it is. Um, and I feel similar with John Quill Jones, but she had to take another step forward. She's younger, obviously. She joined them late last season. She's not doing that this year. Some people like her like her to repeat as MVP even. And it makes sense. Um, they had the coach of the year. They had the MVP. I think they had most improved player as well. And they looked primed to make this deep run in playoffs. But every game in playoffs, they looked like they were getting boat raced and they were not able to keep up on offense. They did add in Courtney Williams, which I think... Um, is going to help them a lot. They lost Brian January to Seattle. But if you look at their fast five seasons, no team has won more games in the WNBA than the Connecticut Sun. But their playoff record during that same five seasons, 10 and 11. So something's yeah. happening in playoffs where it's just not coming together. And it's weird because Kurt Miller, I think, is one of the best coaches in the WNBA, actually. But they have to find a way to put this together. They have to be able to play fast if they have to and have that offense go for them. Yeah, that's interesting because I was looking at them like statistically. They're, they're a team that to me did stick out from like a statistical profile because like you talk about mid-range scoring, if they were second to last in terms of percentage of points coming from the mid-range area of the floor, uh, they were second in terms of fast break points, a percentage of their points scored uh, points in the paint, right? I think they led the league in terms of percentage of points in the paint. Like they checked all the boxes. They were first in net rating last season. So to me, it is interesting to hear about historical performances in the postseason because if you were to just give me these profiles and tell me to pick a team, uh, I think must have won would, a bunch, right? Yeah, it would be, it would be <laughs> like it would be that team, like the Connecticut Sun, who are uh, who are up there in terms of being a a pretty damn good team and one that it's almost like support. a stat pattern, right? Like yeah. they they have all the metrics you want, so what's not coming through in playoffs? Yeah, well, and sometimes it's coaching. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes sports, it just comes down to moments and coaching, and sometimes coaches get out. I think Kurt's Co- great. I think Kurt's yeah. great. And also what I'll say about the Sun, too, of all the teams in the WNBA, they're the most cohesive to me. Yeah. Uh, when I watch them play, they have the most chemistry, and I think that was also why I wanted to feature on them. I thought that they looked the most cohesive. So, Okay, I like it. All right, so then 
you get to the teams that are four and you start to get to the a little bit further down in terms of the odds, but like the Phoenix Mercury four to one, Seattle Storm at five to one, and the Minnesota Lynx at eight to one. So we'll, we'll include these three as a trio. Uh, from an odds perspective, the Phoenix Mercury seem to be obviously the, the highest power rated team of those three. Um, but I'll ask you of those three, give me a strength for each one of those teams, Phoenix, Seattle, and Minnesota that we're going to look forward to. Phoenix, Seattle, Minnesota. Okay, you're so high on Minnesota. You were high on them last year, too. <laughs> there yeah. must be something in the stats that makes you like the Minnesota Lynx. Perhaps it's their defense. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, like I said, a lot of players have been let go. They let go of Lashia Clarendon, who was kind of their floor general, um, which goes to show you how much talent they have on the roster this year. Sylvia Faust on the Minnesota Lynx, and she's well, supposedly it, on her her final season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did in Minnesota, they have a player that's a, like a defensive player of the year or stalwart. Do they not? Or they did last Sylvia year? Sylvia Fowles. Yeah. yeah Sylvia Fowles, like she will cut you with her cheekbones. I love her. Um, <laughs> she also, they did a Players Tribune video on her and she likes to knit in her free time and she's super competitive about it. It's really funny. Uh, but Sylvia Fowles supposedly doing her last season. She's only 36. So that's interesting. But the Minnesota Lynx right now, the problem with betting them early in the season is they're missing some players. So they're not going to be really at full strength right away. So that's something to keep in mind. But Sylvia Fowles is going to be on her farewell season, apparently. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. She's always in the contest or conversation rather for MVP. Um, but for me, the Minnesota Lynx, I have to see them kind of prove me wrong, I guess. Um, I'm not super high on them. Uh, they did add Angel McCautry, who I know that's that's going to be big for them. But I don't see anything that's largely different than last year. So I see them as a playoff team, but not necessarily a deep run. Okay. Um, they do have good defense. I like betting unders on their games last season. As far as the Phoenix Mercury, this team, it's fun, right? We talk about how the NBA has been around a longer time and people are saying there needs to be a rivalry in the WNBA, you know, like there was um, with the Lakers and the Celtics or whatever. And the Phoenix Mercury to me are like the bad girls of the WNBA. And I love it. I'm eating it up. Unfortunately, of course, we're missing Brittany Griner, who's still overseas and wrongfully detained. But they added... Tina Charles, who, again, put on that tier with Sylvia Fowles, her and Tina Charles last season, instant fan, I became an instant fan for them because they can literally put their team on their back. Again, those bigs doing it, right? Just like Brianna Stewart for the Storm. So they all have that option. They're lucky they added Tina because they don't have Brittany right now. But they also have Skylar Diggins-Smith, who's poised to hopefully come out better than last season. She dealt with some injuries. Didn't seem like she was all the way there. The Mercury, similar to Chicago Sky, I feel like uh, – they have Diana Taurasi similar to like Candace Parker, right? And they've been around the block and they know what games they have to win to get into the playoffs. And then they're the team you don't want to face in the playoffs because they absolutely can win any given game. So that's what's tough about betting them last season. They were very frustrating. They're a good enough team. They have this crazy roster to be winning every game, but they don't necessarily cover a lot of point spreads for that reason. So the Phoenix Mercury for me, dangerous. The bad girls here in the playoffs and they could win a championship, but they're they're tough to bet game to game. Uh and obviously, Diana Taurasi, uh, you know, Sue Bird and her close in age and Sue's thinking about retiring. And Diana said she is not retiring anytime soon. So she's coming for it. But she is 40 and she was right. dealing with injuries last season, her ribs, uh, her ankles. She also just had a baby again in the middle of playoffs last season. So she does have other things going on and health issues, too, to keep in mind. So for me, I think the Phoenix Mercury are not a top contender, maybe a top three for me on any given night. Um, and then for the Storm, I feel like I largely ignore the Storm because, again, a top team who knows how to win. And when Brianna Stewart plays, they win. And it's not even close. They win by 10 in these games, even against really good teams like the Aces. So they have this figured out. They're a championship-level team. The Seattle Storm, to me, definitely higher than the Phoenix Mercury. And I would even put them above the Aces. But Ooh. last year, they went out of the playoffs because Brianna Stewart wasn't playing in the final games. They did lose Jordan Canada, who went to the LA Sparks. And the LA Sparks actually have a really nice, good new look to their I, team I as well. I was going to ask you about them, yeah. Yeah. 
So wait, wait. So I want to make sure I heard that. So Seattle, in terms of like a power rating and where you would put them, would that be like a stab to take at five to one before the season starts? I think he'll get better odds in season. Okay. I, I don't know. Um, because again, they're, they're just going to do their best to get into playoffs and they're going to be a top seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's going to be moments with them. It's what's tough, honestly, with these, the aces, the storm and the Mercury. I would say they kind of, and even the Chicago sky, they know what they need to do to win, but they're not necessarily going to be dominant the way the Connecticut sun wins the most games, but then they get to playoffs and can't actually perform. So, um, It'll be interesting to see the Seattle Storm. I think actually of all the 12 teams, so I said everybody took steps forward. I think that Seattle Storm actually made the least amount of noise in the offseason. Yeah. So they didn't make a ton of changes. And if anything, they lost some players. So cautiously optimistic about this team, honestly. Um, but honestly, just because they have Brianna Stewart, if they don't have her, then I'm kind of low on them. So you kind of alluded to it, too, uh, in terms of uh, Brittany Griner and what's going on with her. Obviously, you know, the, the personal thing about that is absolutely terrible. From mm-hmm. a basketball standpoint, that like – is that a loss to the point where if she were playing, this team would be, you know, up there in terms of the aces, the sky in like for odds to win this mm. thing, maybe even the favorite. Is she that impactful? I guess is what I'm asking. She absolutely is capable of it. This yeah. would have been a year. I liked her for MVP this year, actually, but now obviously really? that's got a wrench in the mix. Um, she needed that. I mean, she's incredible. We've seen her a year in, yeah. year and out, but she needed that breakthrough season. And I kind of thought this was going to be the year, just especially based on how we saw uh, in playoffs last year. Um, she's usually like the toughest person in the paint down there. And in the playoffs, she got roughed up a little bit and I expected to see her come back with a vengeance this coming season. But honestly, I remember Asia Wilson posted a video right after they left playoffs last year and she was angry to say the least. So Asia Wilson's going to be scary and the aces are going to be scary. Yeah. Well, so uh, kind of along that line. So their former player, you mentioned the sparks. Uh, well, they get, they get Liz Kimbeish. Uh, Kimbeish? Mm. I always do that. I, I think I, it's Kimbeish. I think you're right. Yeah, right. I say Kimbeish, it wrong, too. Right? Okay. Uh, so Kimbeish is now a member of the Los Angeles Sparks, and all indications are that the uh, the Sparks are a team that is rebuilt, retooled, and kind of ready to become, I guess, relevant is is more of a better yeah. term than a, a contender. 40-1 to 1 to win the WNBA Finals, but like, so how much... In terms of an improvement here, how much is this improvement for the Los Angeles Sparks given the addition of Cambage and others? The Sparks are tricky, just like they were tricky to bet against last year. Like I said, they love to throw up the three ball, and then some yeah. nights it'll just be going in a ton. And that also sucks because on the nights that the three was not going in for them, they can't score at all. And so I loved betting unders on their games. And then the couple games where their threes went in, it was like way, way over. So they're really tricky. Like you said, lots of retooling. Liz Cambage joins them. Uh, the Ogumike sisters, obviously. But there was health issues. They didn't play a lot last year, too. It was That was also what was hard for me to get into the Sparks last season. There wasn't really a consistent roster um, of players. It always like they were throwing together um, a lineup that said they added Katie Lou Samuelson, who's going to be incredible. I think she's missing from Friday's game. So that is important to know, but um, they added Katie Lou Samuelson is going to be huge for them. Again, shooting guard, Jordan Canada, shooting guard coming uh, from the storm who played behind Sue bird also from UCLA, LA girl. So nice to have her back there. Lexi Brown also from Indiana, I believe. So they made a bunch of additions and they're all these really fast guards that are able to shoot threes. And then they added Cambage. So they have their big down low. So they are, built to be a really solid team this year i'm interested to see how the coaching goes and all of that because there were shifts there as well um but that's why i need to see what the team actually is going to look like they've always kind of put defense first to the sparks team so and they missed the playoffs last year for the first time since 2011 so you can bet that they're not going to want to repeat that but another team that missed the playoffs that i would look at as a longer shot better would be the mystics and it's because elena deladon is back Oh, yeah. So dive into that because uh, that was a long term injury that kind of kept her out. And did she did she come back at some point last season and played a couple of games or, or? briefly? Right. Briefly. OK. 
Yeah. So, Which was so weird because she hadn't played five on five in like a year or something. It was, I mean, practice, but yeah, it was really strange. So is it just based on that or is there more there with Washington? Uh, Alicia Clark also healthy and ready to play. We didn't see her a lot of last season as well. So those two stars, obviously Della Dawn, two-time MVP. She's only played in three regular season games since leading the Mystics to the 2019 wow. WNBA title, but this team has championship pedigree just within the last couple of years. And if they just need to put things back together, it was really weird actually, because I knew about Elena Deladon. I heard about the Washington mystics. I know they had won a championship recently and they were such a letdown for me last season to watch, but they dealt with a lot of injuries. Like I said, um, one thing to note though, I would feel a lot, lot better about this team if they still had Tina Charles who they lost to the mercury. So that is something to keep in mind, but Elena is back, but who's her backup if she goes out and gets injured? So everybody kind of puts an asterisk on the mystics and says this has to do with health. Um, and maybe it's not their year, but they have all the talent there. So if they can put the pieces together and everybody stays healthy, this team is dangerous. And they're what you can get them at mm, 20 to one. Yeah. 20 to one. So that's a longer shot that I like a little bit better. If you go anywhere lower on the board, right. sparks 25 to one is not really worth it to me. Liberty wings, fever dream, not their so year, but it'll be fun to watch them. You said sparks 25 to one where you're looking. What if I told you you get the sparks at 40 to one? That's interesting. Yeah. That's a points bet. It's interesting. Who's the sparks leader on that team. It's the Oguamike sisters and they have veteran presence. That's what worries me is I think they lack a little bit of that continuity. Yeah, could take a flyer on them, but I, I, I don't think they go from missing playoffs last year to winning it this year. Right, but okay. forty to one. I mean, it's, yeah, that's a bet. That's a lot better number than looking around and yeah, getting about twenty to one or so. I think I'd rather um, have the Mystics twenty to one. At twenty to one, okay. For what it's worth. All right, no, I'm down with that. I mean, especially when you talk about injury and a player of that level, uh, level and uh, if I could talk, Elena Deladon actually coming back and being healthy. I mean, that's. Uh, again, from what I gather, it would be impactful enough to the point where that 20 to one could be 10, nine to one by the time the season starts to get rolling and this team looks a little bit better. So it'd be intriguing. So there's a couple of teams we haven't really talked about. Uh, mm -hmm. And I would gather teams like the New York Liberty, the Dallas Wings, and then Fever and Dream are not going to be very competitive uh, from Bottom. a big picture standpoint. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say, as somebody who is, you know, a fringe WNBA watcher, I think you go straight to the New York Liberty because they do have uh, what seems to be a well known star in Sabrina Ionescu, who. Uh, kind of got off to a slow start to her career. Injuries were part of that too, right? Uh, yeah, so walk ankle. so walk me through the Liberty and, and what they're building and what to expect out of her because uh, obviously very big fan of watching her in college and then it kind of got really quiet when she got to the WNBA. Right. And it's weird because obviously I think that a lot of people think that she's overhyped, which is unfair because we saw how she played at Oregon. She's a stellar player. We just haven't seen her have that yet in the WNBA. And again, injuries hindered her. That said, the New York Liberty also undergoing a coaching change as well. They're getting the Phoenix Suns coach, Sandy Brondello. So I'm really excited to see what she does because she makes the postseason every year. The Liberty snuck in last year actually over the Mystics, which you can bet the Mystics are not happy about. Um, so that was so much fun for me because I was rooting for the Liberty in this. Um, just because again, we look at the Liberty, the wings, these are teams that love to shoot the three ball. And that's just way more fun to watch for me. Um, and Sabrina Ionescu is a perfect example of that. That said, the person to watch for me on this team is Benajah Laney. Uh, she took over for the New York Liberty last year. She has a really cool story too, about how she worked her way up to this position that she's in now. So she didn't just come in as this all-star necessarily. Um, and she's had to work to where she is. So Benajah Laney, even worth a look at like MVP would be fun, even though. Okay. I don't know. That's my long shot MVP. I love Benajah. Um, and also they have the rookie of the year on their team as well. Michaela Onyanwede, who is from UCLA. And it wasn't even close. Like for me, it was, she was clear rookie of the year candidate last year, and she's going to take steps forward too. She's such an asset. She's going to shoot a lot of threes. Um, 
And again, if you're going to be a team that's going to run like an NBA team and shoot a bunch of threes and push the pace, which the Liberty are going to do, and now they have Sandy Brondello from the Phoenix Mercury, I think the, Mer- the Liberty set themselves up really well for this season. Okay, I like it. So that kind of leads me into uh, my next question. And by the way, over at least a points bet, because point, as points bet does has have MVP, so you have to shop around. Uh, Laney not listed. So uh, maybe yeah, could, I think uh, I saw her at thirty to one somewhere. I don't know. Okay, not right. super. Uh, I like it. Uh, okay, I like it, Picasso. All right, so let's go. Uh, uh, good reference. Yeah, I'm, I'm a 31 year old, and I somebody's approved, been on TikTok. I was gonna say I approve TikTok every once in a while. It's good. Hey, I like to see talented people. There's talented people on there. They're funny and they have good edits. It's interesting to watch. You just have to uh, wade okay. through the four so, page. Yes, so it's sometimes it's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> and also, I mean, like. I, I'm a, you know, I'm a 31 year old male. So the algorithm gives me like all sorts of like, just like it, I'm going to call it stereotypical male stuff. Here's how to fix your back stuff. pain. I'm just yeah, yeah. Like all this kind of stuff. Well, it's either that or I just, I don't want to get into it. But regardless, uh, you know, I have other <laughs> your feed interests. sounds terrible. Mine's great. You should look at my TikToks. <laughs> I'll give well, you my feed I purposely, I purposely like things like sports things or like, you know, like a, oh. I'm, I'm a quiet, I'm not very quietly, but like I, I wouldn't tell Matt humans is me and my wife are very big anime fans. So like, I like, uh, you know, anime stuff just to try to clean up my feed a little bit here. And sometimes it just yeah, diversify. Work. Yeah. This, you know, sports is accessible. We work in yeah. it. Um, <laughs> all right. So that leads me to my other question when it comes to some of these teams. So I enter seasons, you know, every single sport and, and circle teams that I think are undervalued and overvalued by the market. So, so give me one, maybe two teams that you think are going to be undervalued by the market coming into the season that from like an ATS standpoint, you might be able to cash in on, on betting on them on a night-to-night basis. Would that be the Liberty, like a team that has turned things around enough? It seems from a power rating perspective, you know, they're pretty much middle of the pack. If you're talking 22-1 to 1 in the big picture, uh, they're going to be in situations where they're likely going to be either catching points or laying short numbers. And I don't want to put words in your mouth too, by the way. So like, no, no, so many changes made. I I like the Liberty here, of course, but this is me more wishful thinking, looking at the pieces and trying to like put the map together and be like, oh, I can see this working for them. And they have Sandy now, and maybe it's going to be great. Similar to we look at Becky Hammond with the aces, right? Oh, this is going to be great. Uh, But when you think about game to game, the team that I would bet on last season that I think we're going to see same thing. They've only bolstered that. Dallas Wings. They've been so okay. they're so fun to watch. Enrique Ogunbale um, is one of the best three point shooters out there. They extended her in the off season. Um, they had three or four draft picks. Most of them are good shooters as well. Uh, they lost in the first round uh, to Chicago actually, but they gave them a hard time. And they do that every game. So if you talk about day-to-day ATS, who they might be undervalued, I think the Dallas Wings, especially because they're one of those bottom four teams. Um, when you look even further down, like the Atlanta Dream or the Indiana Fever, those teams are a little bit tougher for me too. But between those four, the Liberty, the Wings, the Dream, the Fever, I like the Wings on a game-to-game basis, and I like the Fever enough that I actually bet them on the first night. So if you're listening to this and they lost by like 30, then just give me a break. <laughs> hey, you know, it's the beginning <laughs> of the season. It's all about the grind and at the end of the season having a profit. So even if it happens first off, we'll see. And All right, so what about the other, the inverse of that? Any of these teams that you think are overvalued by the betting market that you'll maybe look to play against a couple of times as we start the season? Mm, overvalued. Like I mean, I think personally, at the top of the list, I would think it's Las Vegas. Again, not uh, because Las Vegas would be first. bad. But that they're they're just they're such a highly power rated team, right? And, and they're such a highly power rated team with everything going on that I would think that maybe some of their point spreads would be a little inflated. Yeah, 
That's what it is for me. And I was thinking about their futures odds, even just off the bat, aces came to my mind. And it's not because, like you said, they're not good. It's just because they are overvalued a lot in these games. And you, now that I remember actually last season, a lot of the times um, the aces were just having to lay so many points that usually you had value on the other side. So that's actually, yeah, that was exactly the first team that came to my mind as well. Sometimes the storm, same situation. Aces and storm sat atop of the board for the short shots to win last year for most of the year. Um, so they were just consistently probably a little bit overvalued on the point spread. All right, so before we get to some of the uh, the MVP stuff and whatnot, I saw something interesting that I want to get your thoughts on. Uh, so the WNBA announced on Thursday that the Commissioner's Cup, it's the in-season competition. Yeah, they did it last year. Yeah, it was the first year, right? Um, yes. So, so they're going to have the 2022 championship game at the site of the team with the highest win percentage in cup play. Uh, before last year was held at a predetermined neutral site. So mm-hmm. I th- what what you I w- I'm just curious what do you think of the Commissioner's Cup last season in terms of it being in the middle of the year did you like it and in terms of this being something that they're going to use here uh like I guess what was the effort level like in these cuz I the, there's talks about the NBA implementing something like this and a lot of people are like oh who cares whatever but I would think cuz I think when I'm looking at this player's $500,000 prize pool it's got to be some motivation here and you get some pretty good games out of it. Well, think about the situation compared to the NBA, right? First of all, yeah. there's way less games. There's 30 plus games in the season. So this is just an added level of competition for these girls. It's money and the WNBA players don't make what the NBA players make. So maybe there's a different value put on that. This is way more competitive, way more entertaining, way more exciting than the NBA All-Star game is, obviously. I mean, that's not even fair to compare the two, but... Um, It is just this competition within a competition thing that they have going on. And I don't know that it would be as effective in the NBA. Maybe it would be, but I like to see it obviously as another competition thing. It's weird. It didn't really affect how I looked at the teams that ended up making it into it. I think it was the storm uh, who beat the Connecticut sun actually last time again, pushing the pace, making the Connecticut play fast. Um, It didn't necessarily sway my opinion on the Connecticut sun, but it was a preview of what was to come in the playoffs for them. As you could see is when they had to face those teams. So if anything, it's nice that it's actually competitive. So you can actually take some, some nuggets away from it. All right, so we get to the uh, the other betting board here. This is the fun stuff. Everybody talks about it every day in the NBA. I'm sure it's going to be part of the conversation daily in the WNBA season. Uh, Asia Wilson, the favorite to win the regular season MVP award at three to one, followed by Brianna Stewart at four to one, Jonquil Jones at plus four twenty five, and then there's a gap to the rest of them. Uh, yeah. Nine to one is the next, twelve to one, and then you get in well into the double digits. Uh, Asia Wilson, rifle favorite to win MVP, and maybe a dark horse outside of what we were talking about to to look at here. I feel like I, I, I spew Asia Wilson slander and I shouldn't because she's incredibly talented, but I, I think a little overhyped and okay. I, I shouldn't say it cause I respect, I respect the heck I out mean, of her, I but there's so many too, talented players. I would assume too, that the loss of well, the loss, but the departure of Kim Beige, like kind of ratchets it's up the hype on, on her. her. Right. And I would assume that's why you get these numbers that are so short because it does seem like she is going to be the person, right? The girl oh, that yeah. is going to be like everything on her shoulders, leading score, leading usage, like leading shot, make all of these things. And I think I would assume that's why she's probably at the top of the list. Yeah, absolutely. And and let me just say, like, love Asia off the court and want to see her more than anything prove me wrong and just absolutely go nuts this year. Um, and she is one of the younger players relative to some of these other candidates. Like, I see Sylvia Fowles at 25 to 1, and I think about her doing her final season. And Sylvia Fowles on any given night, again, can put her team on her back. Uh, Brianna Stewart is another person I have highlighted here at 5 to 1. Tina Charles is 8 to 1. Elena Del Don, 8 to 1. So you notice, too, all of these are the bigs, right? They're all they're all these bigs. It's Asia Wilson, Jonquil Jones, Brianna Stewart, Tina Charles, Elena Del Don, all at the top. And then we get to Sabrina Ionescu, who's a guard, which I can't even believe she's as short as she is. It must just because people know who she is and the public's like, yeah, let me bet on Sabrina and maybe she'll have a breakout season. Uh, but if I'm betting on a 
on a uh, New York Liberty player. It's Benajah Laney. She's 30 to 1. John Quill Jones has been talked about as doing repeat at MVP. I think it's the Jokic conversation, right? You have to outdo what you did the previous season. And some are saying she's ready to do that. Again, she joined the team right away this year. Um, and bad taste in her mouth from how last season went, obviously. And it, what, I mean, it really seemed like the Chicago Sky had this locked up. Um, so all of that considered, I think I'm just kind of overlooking the storm a little bit. So Brianna Stewart floating there at five to one is also interesting, but everybody's biggest, most interesting story, I think is the Elena Deladon comeback. Mm -hmm. She's at eight to one. So you're getting something kind of decent here if she just lights it up. But I think health is just such a big concern that I wouldn't necessarily want to tie it up in a future. Um, if the wings go crazy this year, Arike is going to be great, uh, but she's only 14 to one. So maybe not that exciting. Honestly, when I looked at this list, the first person I wanted to go see was Candace Parker at 16 she, to one. I, I was going to ask you, so she's 20 to one and there's, there's 20, she was yeah. at, and she was asked, uh, I was reading an article. She was asked about the, uh, you know, Hey, what, what are you thinking? You're going to retire. And she's like, Oh, I don't know. Like the emotional aspect of putting together a really good season going out on top as uh you know, mm -hmm. an MVP, even though, you know, we, we know what happened last season too, but uh, actually getting an MVP too, and what could be your potential final season. And I, I don't know how you feel about this. I think awards voters are kind of dumb and they'll just go for sometimes the best story as <laughs> best opposed story. to the best player. And if Parker puts together a season that she's going to be one of the best players in the WNBA, I could totally see a bunch of these writers getting all sappy and falling for that. Absolutely. And so she's, you know, sitting at 20 to one. And then again, the storyline, Elena Del Don makes yeah. her comeback, puts it together. Uh, Sylvia Fowles is on her farewell tour. So that, that stands out to me too. I like Sylvia at 25 to one. She was in the MVP discussion all of last year. And John Quill Jones is just so unique and special because she's also just able to shoot the three so well. And that's something uh, I would say that Asia Wilson and her have comparable skills in a lot of other ways, but Asia doesn't have that skill. And so that puts John Quill ahead of her for me. Um, but like you said, Asia's going to have to do a lot more for her team this year. So that's something to consider as well. Um, Brianna Stewart's going to be the bulk of the storm as well. So that's why you're seeing those three at the top. Uh, I want Sylvia to have the best last season. Okay. Sylvia Fowles, you said 20 to one over at Bed Rivers? 25, I think. Is 25. What okay. Yeah. yeah. See, that's why you shop around. The one I'm looking at is 16 to one. So shop yeah. around for those numbers. All right. So before we get you out of here, um, I'm going to, I'll put you on the spot and, and I'm never going to hold you to it, but still we uh -huh. do this before the season starts today. Uh, WNBA finals matchup is, and who wins it? Let's go. Okay. Who's going to get hurt? One of these teams is going to get hurt. Um, I'm going to keep the Connecticut Sun out. I told you about their playoff record the last five years, mm -hmm. 10 and 11. I know they're poised to come back, but I need to see it. So I'm not putting them in the finals. I might put the aces in there. Okay. I'm going to say the storm bounces before the finals, just before. What if the Mercury get Brittany Griner back? Uh, it's all right. You don't have to overthink it. It's, it's I May. I like Chicago and... also. I think Chicago and the Storm will make it just before the finals. And then I think that we'll see the Aces. And. Oh, man. The Aces and uh, the Storm sounds so boring. But I'm going to say Aces Mercury. Okay. I'm going to say the Mercury are going to be the dark horse here. And they're going to come right. in and get it done. I I'm excited to watch the Aces. I'd say that you know, my wife and I, we're going to go out to some of those games. We're going to check those out, but I'm excited to see what, uh, what style they're going to be playing other than what Len Beer was throwing out there. And you got to give me notes on what you hear. I'm going to go to the Sparks games. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm excited. I'm going to try to follow this and, um, you know, see how the market handles these things, bet a little bit more into it and see what's going on. Cause I just like hoops and, uh, the WNBA final last year were awesome. Uh, all right. Daniel Alvari, I've wasted enough of your time as a, 
four o'clock on a Friday. Los Angeles is a, a very fun city. So go out and enjoy the day. Appreciate a couple of minutes.